gets me. I've sung that song, song many times. Every time I sing it, it just touches me. That the definition of who you and I are is changed. The definition of who you and I are is changed because of Jesus. Not just, not just the facts, but the very definition of who we are is changed as a result of Jesus. He's a good father, and we are his children, born again under the banner of the cross, in the blood of Jesus, washed in baptism, renewed by the Spirit. It's a new world. It's a new definition. It's a new creation. What an amazing thing. This morning, we're going to be talking about Thomas. What do you know about Thomas? When you say Thomas in the Bible, what immediately comes to your mind? Doubting Thomas. It's, it's, so, it's so commonly used that it's actually become a phrase in English. Now, it's not actually uncommon. If you, if you uh, read especially the King James Version a lot, you'll find out that the, uh, the English is peppered with phraseology from the Scripture, from the text. People use lots of things from the text to describe recurring events. And in this case, doubting Thomas. It's become a watchword for someone who doubts the information that should be clear and is clear to others. They're the doubting Thomas. The person who persists in doubting when other people have begun to accept what is obvious. That's the doubting Thomas. As we talk about him uh, this morning, I want you to realize the, uh, the intensity of the moment he finds himself in as this doubting business comes forth. And we're going to read it in Scripture. We'll come back to it in a little bit. But I just want to share you with you a, a story that might, might highlight this. Um, there's a recent book and a recent movie called um, Hidden Figures. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. But it's about, it, it highlights uh, specifically three African-American women who were uh, hired by NASA. Um, there's actually a, a large group of folks who were hired by NASA, but it highlights these three who were hired by NASA back in the 40s and 50s uh, to help with calculations and help, maintain, help uh, with, with computing numbers. Um, interesting gentlemen, they picked women because they didn't figure the men would be careful enough to make sure everything was accurate. They thought that the women would be more careful in the way they thought through and went through the figures and make sure everything was accurate. So they, they hired females. They had both, uh, both white and black uh, people who were known as the computers, okay? These women were the computers. That's where we get the term, by the way, for what we call that thing on your desk, a computer. But in this, in this book, there's a, a specific thing. Now, when I hear one of these stories... I always, I, I, I often, always, is, you should probably never use always, and you should never use every time. It should always be, always be often. <laughs> so I often kind of look in the background, see the backstory, see what I can find, because there's some things in there that are just a little incredible. And I found out, yep, some of them were not credible. But one specific line, which was, extremely significant to the film itself and to the book itself was actually completely valid, completely true. In fact, almost, almost specifically quoted. John Glenn, um, you know who John Glenn is? Was? Okay, who is John Glenn? 
astronaut. What's significant about his particular astronaut behavior? First one to orbit the Earth, okay? First astronaut from America to orbit the Earth. There was actually a, a Russian astronaut who orbited the Earth before he did. Uh, do you know his name? Good. You're very good. You're yeah, good, 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 good. Some people know. So in this, in this description of what's happening, as they're, as they're about to launch the, this, this rocket that's going to carry him into space, um, they had gotten a brand new IBM computer. It was huge. All it could do was do math figures, and it was massive. Um, it filled probably about half of the size of this room, and all it really was was a fancy calculator. You have a lot more computing power in your phone than that thing had, okay? So they didn't actually, they were supposed to use that in order to calculate, to double check all the calculations, and so they did. They ran all the calculations, and, uh, and John Glenn, who's sitting on top of what is basically a controlled explosion that's going to launch him into space, before he's willing to get strapped into this thing, he asks specifically, he said, would you get the girl to double check the numbers of the machine? And the girl happens to be one of these ladies um, who uh, was, was featured in the film. I need to, uh, what's her first name? It's Mrs. Johnson. Catherine. Catherine Johnson. And he actually asked that Catherine Johnson would recheck these numbers before he straps himself in. Now stop for a second and think about what's going on. He's about to be launched out into space. Okay? He'd like to get back. And before he gets launched out into space, he wants the numbers checked. Katherine Johnson checked the numbers before he got launched out into space. Specifically, she was checking the numbers for his re-entry, which would obviously be the thing you're most concerned about. The, the highlight of these uh, hidden figures is that, that you have probably not heard of them. There are many, many people who are doing calculations. And if, there's some interesting, there's a great interview of Katherine Johnson on the Internet if you'd like to see it. But what, what highlights this and what makes this stand out is that she's an African-American woman who's been gifted a master of math. It's a beautiful story about her life. But it's a, it's, it highlights her impact and the, the things that she had done to intervene and make an impact on this thing that we all know is the space race. These three women, by the way, end up um, really carving a path that, that left behind them an openness to, to change that was not there when they were hired. You, you should really check this out. Um, the, the book in particular is especially good. So, here's my point. Thomas, when he questions the resurrection of Jesus is at that kind of rocket launch moment in his life. Think about it. If you accept the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. Right? If you accept that Jesus didn't just die on a cross like lots of other people had done in the Roman Empire, but in fact came out of that tomb, leaving it empty, alive. Changes everything. So let me ask you the question. Do doubts ever come into your mind? Do you ever have questions? And do the questions intensify when one of those pinnacle, critical, pivotal moments is happening? When those hinge points in your life start to come, does that, is that when you start amping up the question? 
Now, some of us are naturally questioning, right? Some of us want proof. Some of us stand with the whole state of Missouri. You're going to have to show me what's going on here, right? We want to know for certain the facts are clear and proven and provable, right? This whole faith thing is a little hard to get our arms around. So here's Thomas, patron saint of those of us who want our questions answered. I like this picture. I like this picture for two reasons. One, I love sort of that the masters who paint with such expression. Look at the foreheads of these guys as they're looking at Jesus' side. Do you see where Thomas's finger is? Because the Bible in the King James says, put his finger in his side. So if you look at this, Thomas has got his finger under a flap of skin in the side of Jesus. Now, knowing that that, that word could have been translated on his side, okay. I'm wondering if it was just a scar that he was actually touching and not actually sticking his finger inside of the flesh of Jesus. But I, I do like that the artist went straight for it as accurate an interpretation as he found in the English. There it is. So as we explore this guy, I want to try to expand a little bit more the facets of your understanding of who this man was. All right? Let's pray. Father, we have prayed a couple of times today. Once again, we ask that you would come and fill our hearts. As we open your word, may we find things here that direct our lives that would help us, encourage us, that would strengthen our commitment to being a follower of yours and being your disciple. Lord, we wish to walk with you. Teach us today a little better how we might do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Not working. Oh, wait, got it. Did you do that? Ah, uh, see. Thank you. So first of all, <clears throat> Thomas, called Didymus. You read that in the Bible, right? You read it in the book of John. It says it translates it for you. Didymus, which means the twin, right? So Thomas is Koine Greek. It's coming from the Aramaic, Toma, which means... A twin, which is from the Hebrew, teom, meaning a twin. So here's the deal. Thomas's name is twin. He's called the twin. His Hebrew name is twin. His Aramaic name is twin. Guess what Thomas is? A twin. Here's a weird part about this. They didn't have sonograms back then, right? So you didn't have two names ready to go when your baby was born. So guess what name the second kid often got? Oh, here's our son, Jacob. Oh, Jacob, we've named him after one of the patriarchs. It's so awesome. Wait, there's another one. We'll call him twin. <laughs> How'd you like to have that be the situation for your name? My parents thought about my brother's name for months and months, and they finally came up with this great, awesome name. And then I showed up, and they just called me the other brother. They called me the twin. These disciples seem to have a lot of this kind of stuff going on, don't they? The ordinary nature of these men seems to be indicated over and over again in just their names. He's just the twin. His brother has his name. He just got a description, right? He's Jacob or he's Joseph or he's Moses, some awesome name like that. And there's the extra one. 
We didn't know there were two. We weren't prepared. So this is your name. Sorry, Tommy. You're the twin. Now, if your name is Thomas, guess what? All those things they told you about the magnificent definition for your name, not true. (laughs) This is the actual etymology of the name Thomas. It is from the Aramaic, from the Hebrew, and it simply means twin. It's very, very likely that he was the second child born of a pair from parents who expected one. And this is the best they could do. Do you just feel a little bad for him? I just feel like mom and dad, come on. There had to be a second place name for the other brother, right? You always said, you always said yeah, well, I really like this, but maybe that. Just throw out that name for the kid. Don't just describe him. You know, you might as well have called him Pointy Head. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is Joseph, our wonderful firstborn child, and his little brother Pointy Head. You know, why do you use a description to describe, to, to pick this next child? This is very likely how Thomas got his name. Nothing extraordinary. Hardly even a reason. It's just, it's, it's sad. He's born sometime again early in the first century. He walked with Jesus for three years. I'm telling you the facts we know about him because we know very little. He's believed to have reached India in AD 52. Now stop and think Israel to India on a pair of those. Okay? He apparently reached India in AD 52, a long standing historical and uh, biblical tr- and Christian tradition of Thomas going to India. There's some who think that he came there and was actually first introduced to some Jewish uh, groups and elements that were already there, which is very possible. Remember, the Persian Empire went a long way and there were Jewish people captured in the Persian Empire. Remember, the uh, Babylonian Empire, Babylonian captivity ex- extended on through Persia. And the Jews were spread out throughout, and the Babylonian Empire went all the way to the Indus Valley in India. Um, He died after being stabbed with a lance in India in AD 72, about 20-year ministry in India. Okay? Interesting stuff. Interesting that uh, he traveled about 3,500 miles on foot. So get up this morning, head east. When you get somewhere around New York, you've arrived in India. Only go the south, southern route so you have lots of deserts and inclement places to travel across because that's what he had to do. Remember, he's going all the way across Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, and a little tiny corner of Afghanistan. So you want to pick out where he went? That's where he went. He went to the California of India. At least that's what it's called over there. At least that's what they told us. If you look at this side of India, that's not going to work. Do you look at where they, the, they, the, the line of his travels sort of ends? That's Kerala. That's Kerala. He, looks, he apparently landed there at the end of his travels. Okay? If you were to go straight across from there, across India, that's where he actually died. So in, during his 20 years, he went around the end of India and, and just kept working through different groups and talking to people. There, there's a long tradition that he had good success among the Brahmins. And actually baptized some of the priests and leaders among the Brahmins. And uh, so there's a long-standing name. Guess what? Some of the folks from India named their children. Among the Christians, they named their kid Toma, which means twin. Long-standing tradition of naming little Indian Christian kids 
Tommy. Actually, Toma. Thomas, therefore, could be thought of not as doubting Thomas, but Thomas, the evangelist of India, or the evangelist of Asia, right? Why don't we say, hey, you know what first comes to mind when I think about Thomas? Evangelist of Asia. Nope. Doubting Thomas. Doubt, we proved it here this morning. We can call him Thomas the courageous disciple, too. Do you remember the story of the death of Lazarus? Jesus' friend Lazarus, Jesus and the disciples, including Thomas, are down in Jericho. Now, down in Jericho is truly down because it's down at the Dead Sea. It's actually below sea level. And their friend, Lazarus, is up in Bethany. There's about only old 17 to 20 miles, but there's a great elevation to be gained. There's about 2,200, 2,500 feet to be climbed out of that little hole they find themselves in. Message comes to Jesus. Your friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus has an exchange, a discussion with the disciples. Remember that discussion? Some of you have read the Bible multiple times. You kind of have this in your head. The disciples say to Jesus, or the, this man says to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus says to the disciples, the sickness is not unto death. And he doesn't go. And he hangs around for three days. Then he says to the disciples, we're going up to, to, to get Lazarus. Now, in the meantime, he's told him Lazarus is sleeping, in which he then later says, clearly, Lazarus is dead. He says, we're, but we're going to go. The disciples then warn him. The people around Jerusalem have been lately trying to kill you. You shouldn't go back there. You'll get killed. This is where our friend Thomas gets introduced. Now, he's only really, these quotes from Thomas, three of them, are all found in the book of John. As we work our way to the end today, I'll explain, I think, why only in the book of John. Partly, I think, because John seems to be close to Thomas. He hears and listens and kind of keeps track of what Thomas is doing. <clears throat> Here's Thomas's comment when he when he when Jesus decides to go up to Jerusalem against the disciples encouragement. Thomas says, "Let us also go that me, we may die with him." This is Thomas the courageous. This is I would rather die with Jesus than stay here and live without Jesus. You know, we could we could just take that on, right? We could just say, you know what I remember Thomas for? Dude would rather have died with Jesus than to stay in Jericho and live without Jesus. Pretty impressive guy. He gets all of the other disciples, by the way, on that one statement to go. Everybody shows up at Lazarus' house. Pretty convincing guy too, right? Pretty, he's upstanding, fine, courageous man. He says, all right, we'll go. Let's go. Better to die with Jesus than live without Jesus. That could just be the moniker of this whole congregation, right? Could we just take that on? Are you courageous enough to take that on? Could you stand? Would you have gone? Would you have said, okay, he's right. Better to die with Jesus than live without Jesus. Could, could you, would you buy that? Oh, I don't need an answer. I just want you to process it. Okay, so John 11. John 14, famous passage in John 14. Jesus is standing in front of the disciples. He's explaining that he's going to leave. He's explaining about heaven. This is that great, that beautiful place where we get the idea that there are mansions in heaven because the kingdom, that when, when, uh, the, when the King James translated it, it said that 
My, in my Father's house are many mansions. And so, you know, we talk about it. There's even a song, I got a mansion just over the hilltop. I don't know where, how heaven got over the hilltop, but you got the idea. That's where this comes from. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible, if it were not so, I would have told you. Man, I love that passage. Jesus is stating, look, if this were not true, if heaven were not real, if the resurrection wasn't true, I would have told you. I wouldn't let you guys hang on a lie for the rest of your life. I wouldn't let you guys die for a lie for the rest and end your life. I would have told you if this was a bunch of baloney. I'm telling you, it's not. And then he says to the disciples, where I'm going, you know, and you know the way. And there's silence in the room, I imagine. As nobody, not even Peter, wants to ask the next question that's so obvious to everyone. Right? Everybody wants to ask this question. You know, I went to, when I was in college, I took a class in Isaiah. And in this class in Isaiah, we had this particular teacher. And this teacher, I don't know, I think he had one of those word of the day calendars. You know, and he'd memorize some, some huge word every day. And he would bring it to class. And he'd find a way to work it into the lecture. And at the beginning, when we were, when the first time we had taken a class from this guy, you know, we, we took several. It's the way it works in these classes. You know, you take, you have Old Testament professors, New Testament professors, theology professors, blah, 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 blah. And this, he was one of the Old Testament professors. And so we had taken other classes for, from him. So we knew when he used a word you didn't understand, you didn't dare ask him the meaning of the word. Because some of us had done that. He'd say, I don't understand that word. Could you explain it? And he would just berate you. How could you have gotten this far in life and not know the meaning of this word? You're a sophomore in college. You should understand and know these words. You need to read, boy. I just wanted to know what it said. I'm starting to cry, you know. No. But that has happened to several people in our class over time. And so in this Isaiah class, he uses another one of those classic words that he would throw out there for us. And this guy in the back, who was just out of the Marine Corps, raised his hand. And we're like, don't, oh man, don't do that. This is going to be painful to watch. And he asks the professor, he says, I don't know the meaning of that word. Could you tell me what that word means? The professor launches into his regular tirade. How could you be this far along in school and not know the meaning of this word? What's wrong with you? Have you not had any education before now? This guy has been in the Marines. He's been yelled at by professionals. (laughs) The teacher finishes and he's used to shutting us all down and not a word coming out of us until he finishes his lecture after that. He finishes his tirade and our buddy from the Marines raises his hand again. And we're like, oh, no one's ever tried this. (laughs) And the professor goes, what? (laughs) I still don't know the meaning of that word, sir. (laughs) And the professor tells him the meaning of the word. And here we all realize, oh, my goodness, all we had to do was ask twice. He does this like three more times. Second time, gets berated again. 
Third time, professor tells him the answer to the word. Fourth time, the professor doesn't even ask him what the question is. He just tells us all the definition of the word. It was a beautiful thing. You know, I don't remember any, I don't, I don't remember one single one of those words. But I remember that guy. This is Thomas in this setting. Everybody wants to say what he's about to say. Jesus has said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know where it is and you know how to get there. And the disciples are all like, no, we don't have any idea what you're talking about. And Thomas says, look, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And everybody benefits from the question nobody wants to ask. Right? He doesn't do well with uncertainty, but all of the disciples had the same uncertainty. And everyone in the group benefits from the one courageous enough to ask the question. I'm, I'm liking Thomas. I, I more and more have a, grown to appreciate this guy. Like my buddy in the Marine Corps. Can I just say that doubt is not sin? Having questions is not sinful in and of itself. Right? Doubt can lead to a lack of faith. It can lead to a loss of faith. You You can lose your way on that path. But to have questions and to have doubts and to bring them to Jesus is absolutely appropriate. Man, don't, don't kill yourself over having questions. Don't, don't doubt your, your, your spirituality because you have questions. To not have questions is to blithely go, go along as if nothing is to be questioned. There is no faith where there is no question. Because if you don't have any questions, what do you have faith in? You have to, that one precedes the other. There have to be questions or there can't be faith. So, so to, to consider that this man's doubt is some horrible thing and to hang this moniker on him for the rest of, of life, we're going to arrive in heaven and be introduced to Thomas and he's going to go, yeah, 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 doubting Thomas, I know. Right? By the way, Jesus gave me an, a real name. My name's Jacob now because he didn't like the fact that my name was a description. <laughs> Thomas, here's the backstory. Jesus is alive. Now, you and I take that as just ho-hum, okay, normal information. A guy died. He was crucified. He was buried. He was inside the tomb. And now he's alive. Mary doesn't know for sure yet. She's come back and she's told the disciples, I believe I I saw Jesus at the tomb. Peter and John have the race. Who wins? John, why do we know that? John told us. Tell you, these are not ordinary people. They got to the tomb. John, the Bible says, John believed there was a miracle. John believed that something had happened, something miraculous had happened. Peter apparently did not. The next phrase simply says they went back home. They went into the tomb, found the tomb empty. One of them was like, whoa, Jesus is alive. The other one's like, oh. 
Why don't we call him Peter, Doubting Peter? He gets back home. The next day, the disciples are gathered in the upper room. Have you ever missed the worst day in history to miss school? Ever gone, who, ever gone to school the day after you were sick and realized that the day that you missed was the best day in school ever? You show up that day and the teacher says, oh, hi, nice to have you with us today, Tommy. Um, we had an astronaut show up yesterday. It was cool. We didn't know he was coming. He just showed up and you missed it. Hope you're okay. Hope you feel better. You're like, oh, best day of school ever and I had to miss it. Or you get sick on field trip day. We were going backpacking. We were going to hike up into the, to the mountains at Hetch Hetchy Reservoir down by uh, Yosemite Valley. And as we were getting ready to go, um, my family had this big project. We had cut all this, these limbs off our trees in our front yard. And one of my jobs, I was, oh, I was probably 15 at this time. One of my jobs during this day was to hack off the limbs so that, you know, you could start breaking things down, getting it smaller and smaller. And so I have a machete. And I'm whacking limbs off, the, off these other limbs and make, taking, you know, little ones off the big ones to make smaller ones out of the big ones. So I'm whacking away at these things. I'm going and going and going. And as is common with me at 15, and probably still is, I got a little distracted. My mind went somewhere else because this is a pretty boring chore. <sighs> All day long. So after a while, the charm of hacking up wood with a machete had lost itself. And I stopped paying quite the level of attention that I was instructed to pay as the day began. Be careful. That thing is sharp. You could hurt yourself. Don't chop off a finger or something. Okay? Whack, whack, whack. whack. Next day we're supposed to leave for this trip. Whack. And as I hit it, I just hit it wrong. Kind of a glancing blow. And I, again, was no longer paying full attention and so I had my legs where they shouldn't be. And so as the machete hits the limb and bounces off the limb, it now hits my leg right there. I can still remember the spot. It was right there. Whack. You know, pain, screaming, blood, stitches. And now I can't go in the backpack trip. So you're sick on a day that would have just been transformational. Now I can't go. Thomas misses the day Jesus shows up to tell the disciples personally that he's alive. That is a bad day to miss school. You know? Everybody's there. They're all, yeah, we saw Jesus yesterday. Ten. Why are there only ten? Judas is dead. Remember? Judas denied Christ. Judas has hung himself. There's ten disciples in the upper room that day and one absentee. He had the sniffles. His mother made him stay home. Who, he's having chicken soup. Nobody knows what exactly happened to him, but he didn't make it that day. Life-altering day. What if this was the only time Jesus ever showed up to these guys? Bummer. So he gets back. Visits with all the guys. They're so excited. You can't believe what happened. Jesus showed up to all of us. He came in the room. He said, peace, be still. Because that's always what he says because he freaks us out when he shows up. And, he, and, and we talked to him and he's alive and it's amazing. And Mary was right and John was right and it's awesome. You know what he says? 
This is where he gets the name. He replied, I won't believe it. Now stop. Before you bail in on him as a doubter, would you have? You're sitting on the rocket. You're about to light this baby. And you're not sure that the IBM got the math right. What are you going to do? You might want a little more proof, right? That's what's going on here. Is Catherine Johnson available? Mrs. Johnson, could you recalculate the numbers for me? John Glenn said, let the girl check the numbers. If she says they're right, I'm ready to go. Thomas said, when I see it, I'll believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. When I see that, I'm in. Now, before we get too condemning of this guy, imagine yourself in his position. This is a pivotal moment. This is a hinge moment in your life. If you buy that Jesus is alive, everything changes. If you think the other disciples might be a little crazy, you don't want to go with those guys. His ten friends, he's been hanging out for the last three years. He knows these guys well. We've been studying these guys just for the last few weeks. What do you think? Would you have questioned Peter? Do you think Peter might jump to a conclusion? It's possible. How about Simon the Zealot? Might he jump to a conclusion? How about James and John, the sons of thunder? Would you be putting your, 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 the rest of your life, would you hang your, your next 50 years on the message from those two guys? See? He walked into the room, looked over the room and said, I love you guys, but this is a big deal. I'm going to have to see this for myself. Okay? Now, can I, if, if you're here today and you're, this is where you are with Christianity, if you're, if you're looking at this and you're saying, hey, this whole Christianity thing would be great if it was true, but I don't know. Pretty weird. Pretty weird story. Some guy came back to life. If, you, if that's where you are today, can you just accept that so were these guys? This is the patron saint of those of us who go, I need more information. I think he would have been one of those people saying, recheck the numbers. You know, like this thing, make sure the numbers are right. If I'm, going to, if I'm going to commit myself to Jesus, let's make sure the numbers make sense. If you're finding yourself in that place, do a little research. Go look not at those who's, who are always trying to find a reason not to believe. Go and look at those who didn't believe and yet were convinced later. Look on, look, look on Google if you want. Look up skeptics and their belief in Jesus and just kind of check some of that stuff out. Because there's some amazing testimony for the fact that Jesus was real and Jesus was here. And Jesus was everything he said he was. And then you're left with that big two-pronged question. If Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was, he was God, the resurrection is true, and man, that changes everything. If he wasn't, he was a liar, crazy, maniacal person. Those are really the only two choices. So if you find yourself trying to sort this business out, look for some evidence because there's evidence out there. And you cross those two decisions together, I think you can find enough information. But 
if you're truly a Thomas and you have some questions, you'll need to find out for yourself. So, when Thomas sees Jesus, so here's the deal. A week later, Thomas doesn't miss school. He's in the upper room with the other guys. Now, stop for a sec. If this had happened in the other room with all the disciples together, right? If this had happened in the upper room where all the disciples were together, would you ever miss another gathering? Uh-uh. I'm showing up every time. I don't care when they call this meeting. I'm finding a way to get to the meeting. I'm dragging mom and her chicken soup into the meeting if necessary. He's in every one waiting to see if this is going to happen again. Seven days later. A week later. Jesus lets Thomas kind of hang on his question for a week. Could he have shown up earlier? Mm-hmm. He lets Thomas deal with his own question. He lets Thomas deal with the other disciples saying to him, Come on, man. We wouldn't lie to you about something like this. Come on. We saw Jesus. And there's Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure you did. A week later, Jesus shows up, says to him, here's my hands. You wanted to see my hands? Here they are. Here's my side. Go ahead. There it is. Thomas, seeing the nail scars in his hands, touching the wound on his side, notice that he went through with his questioning all the way to get the evidence he was looking for. And Jesus was willing to provide it, don't forget, he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord, the one who will be the Lord director of my life, the one whom I will follow the rest of my life, and you must be God. Liking Thomas better now? Let me wrap this up. Thomas's testimony is only found in the book of John. Now hang on with me for a second as we set this up. Remember John is the last living disciple and he's writing that last document before he dies to try to prepare the next generation for a time when there will be no testimony from a person who saw Jesus. He's trying to prep for the second generation, the third and fourth and fifth and 19th and 25th and us. And he's trying to put enough documentation together that people who are questioners will have enough information to believe. John chapter 20, verse 31. John explaining why he wrote the book says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He's just told you the story of the guy who doubted, who now says, My Lord and my God. And then he says, I'm telling you this so that you might believe. I wanted to hear the testimony of someone who doubted so that you might believe. I wanted you to see that we weren't all in lockstep agreeing with everything so that you might believe. There's enough information out there, Walt. If you look, if you check, if you reason with it, you might be able to believe. And if you believe, have eternal life in Him. So the testimony of our friend, this questioner, my friend, the Marine, is a benefit to us all. My Lord and my God, 
you might believe. Do you know what Jesus says to him when he says, we don't know where you're going, how are we going to know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. We quote this text not knowing it's an answer to a question from a guy we kind of aren't sure about. Here's John at the end of the book saying, I've given you the doubts of Thomas so that you might believe. Here's John at this critical moment when Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He remembers John, or remembers Thomas saying, hey, wait a second, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? Then Jesus says, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And if you're going to get to the Father, which is where we're headed, you've got to come with me. Here's our guy Thomas. And here's, here's John saying, Thomas got this. He asked the question that everybody's going to be asking. Let's quote him. Hey, Thomas asked that question right at the end. Let's quote him. So that you and I, benefiting from his question, Professor, I don't know the meaning of that word. Might believe and have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, it's it's a wild story. That you would come to the earth is crazy. That you would come as a child is outrageous. That you would die on a cross so that we might have life. It is the wildest, the most beautiful news we've ever heard. I pray, Father, for a willingness to ask our questions. I pray for courage of our convictions around our questions. And I pray for faith to grip us so deeply that when the answer comes, we don't come at you with another question. We come at you with a recognition that you are our Lord. 